If you brought your Bible this morning, I'd like to ask you to find the book of Daniel, chapter 5. Last week, we began a series through the book of Daniel, and as we began that series, I shared with you that the elders believe our congregation would greatly benefit from the lessons that God intends to teach us as a church through the life of Daniel and through the words that he wrote. And when I stood before you two weeks ago and said that to you, I had no idea what was coming. So I have become a great beneficiary of the wisdom of our elders. And I'm thankful for the Lord leading through us, uh, through them rather, uh, that we would come to this portion of God's Word at this time. Daniel had a wonderful ministry for the Lord in a foreign kingdom. Daniel lived in a hard place. He lived in the, in the city of Babylon, the capital city of the most pagan nation on the planet. He went there as a young boy, probably 15 to 18 years of age, and he lived there his entire life, 70 years or more. He lived there the entire period of time that God's people were in captivity. As far as we know, Daniel lived and died in Babylon, doing the good and perfect will of God in a dark place and in a hard space. By the time we get to uh, the end of Daniel, nothing really has changed for God's people. The kingdom has changed. It started off with the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and three kings later, that kingdom is toppled, and a new kingdom comes, Greece, I'm sorry, Persia and the Medes, and later Greece, but really nothing has changed for Daniel. And so, uh, as we come to the text in front of us in Daniel chapter 5, I think there is an interesting statement that is made by the queen, Belshazzar's mother, who says to him when he's trying to figure out what has just happened, when this hand has appeared on a wall with a writing from the Lord, she says to him in verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. This is verse 11. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your ancestor, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. You know, I typically think of the book of Daniel as a book of prophecy, and it certainly is. But even more than a book of prophecy, Daniel is a book of wisdom. Daniel is actually numbered in the wisdom writings of ancient Israel. And throughout the book, there are, there are times in the book where the author of Scripture wants to let you know some things about the man who's actually writing the words down. When God inspired the book of Daniel through the pen of Daniel, there were things He wanted you to know about Daniel. He wanted you to recognize Daniel's great skill and wisdom, and we just saw that. In Daniel chapter 5, verses 11 through 10, through the mouth of a queen who was trying to help her pagan son overcome his fear at what was going on around her. 
God also would say to us, I want you to know the source of all of that skill and wisdom. And it wasn't resident in Daniel. The, the skill that gave Daniel the ability to do what he did was not just natural ability. And you can see this in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And I would suggest that you capitalize that word spirit. I don't think it's just talking about Daniel's own spirit. I think it's a reference to the Holy Spirit of God that was the source of all of this wisdom. And this wisdom that was generated by the Spirit of God produced a wisdom-shaped life. A life that was beautiful and righteous before God and in the presence of others. Don't turn there, but just jot this verse down. Ezekiel 14 talks about three Old Testament characters and names them for their righteousness. Listen to what Ezekiel said, or what God said to Ezekiel. Even if these three men, now here they are, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would deliver but their own lives because of their righteousness. And so the Spirit of God wants us to know some things about Daniel. And so this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to show you three things briefly this morning about Daniel from the book of Daniel that will explain his life to us so that we could be encouraged and strengthened by what God did in him. And so we'll make three observations and an application. All right, here we go. I want us to know, first of all, if we were looking at this, through a camera lens, and we were sort of zeroing in on a scene and sort of tracing that scene throughout the book, here's the first place the camera would land. The lens would open up on Daniel's faithful living in his time and in his place. So as the screen would open up or as the image would come before us, the camera would focus in on Daniel chapter 1, And so I want you to turn there in your Bible. I think it'll be helpful for you to see this text. In Daniel chapter 1, we read these words. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, so immediately, instead of Babylon, we're taken to Judah. There is a specific time. There is a specific place. These are not just stories that are told. These are historical events that took place And the camera zeroes in to the very starting point, and we see a kingdom under attack in the third year of its king, Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim was a wicked king, and we can read about his story in the book of Kings and in the book of Chronicles. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, here's the first big thing the camera zeroes in on. Listen to the text. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. The Lord gave. Everything that we are about to read in this book starts here. The Lord gave made a sovereign decision about his people. Does God ever make sovereign decisions about our lives as his people? And the answer is what? All the time. 
One of the big ideas in the book of Daniel is this. God rules. God rules. And right here in Daniel 1, the camera zeroes in right on that scene. And immediately we are looking at a kingdom that matters a lot to God. His own kingdom. In that kingdom is David's throne. In that kingdom is the beautiful city of Jerusalem where God said he would place his name. In that city is the majestic temple that Solomon built. And God made a sovereign decision about all of that. God looks down here this morning, and here you and I are, and we matter intensely to God. We matter immensely to God. We learn in John 4 that we are the new temple that has been established by the Spirit of God, and that worship happens in us and through us and by us to the God of heaven. God is intensely interested in what happens in our lives. He's interested in what happens in our lives corporately, and He's interested in what happens in your life individually. And here in the opening scene of our book, we discover that God made a decision about His people. He made a decision to give them into the hand of the king of Babylon. This was difficult times, and you can see that in verse Uh, 1 and 2, and God was very clear that this difficult time had come by His hand because of their disobedience. And God was very, very clear that these difficult days were going to last the lifetime of His faithful people. People like Ezekiel went to Babylon. People like Jeremiah, people like Daniel, these three men all lived at the same time. They lived in different places. Ezekiel was carried off, Daniel was carried off to Babylon, Jeremiah was left in Jerusalem and eventually was kidnapped and taken down to Egypt. And these three men lived for God in these hard times. God providentially appointed Daniel to live and to serve for his entire life during a time where everything that Daniel held dear had been destroyed or removed. The city of his birth, His family, the glorious temple of Solomon, the throne of David itself, all gone because of the rebelliousness of God's people. And even though Daniel himself was righteous and obedient and responsive, he was affected by God's decision. This wasn't just a hard place. It was a dark place. God had called Daniel to live righteously and to serve a king who is very powerful and very, very pagan. We see in the text I call to your attention that King Nebuchadnezzar brought them to the land of Shinar. Have you noticed that little phrase there? That's an unusual word for Babylon. And it's there intentionally. The very first time you hear a reference to the city of Babylon is in Genesis chapter 10 where a wicked descendant of Noah named Nimrod builds a series of cities in a land called Shinar. And one of those cities is a city called Babel. The next reference is in Genesis 11, where the descendants of Nimrod, after the events of the flood, come together and they decide they are never ever going to let God do anything like this to them again. We saw what you almost did to the world when you sent that flood. 
And there is absolutely no way we are ever going to put ourselves in a position where you can do that to us again. And so we are going to come together and we're going to build a tower that's going to go all the way up to God. We are going to build a gate to the gods. And they named that city Babylon and they named that tower Babel and it all took place in the land of Shinar. And now God prompts Daniel to use that very language to help you understand that where Daniel is going is a very ancient place. It is a very powerful place. And it is a very pagan and immoral place. And it represents all the Babylons that have continued on ever since. And that's where you and I live in our day and age. The the Babylon of Daniel's day was spiritually dark and morally depraved, and so is the Babylon that you and I live in. And God had a plan for Daniel and for his people in that place. And that plan was very clearly spelled out for them in a letter that arrived from Jeremiah to the captives in Babylon. Daniel, Ezekiel, all of you people, you're going to Babylon, and uh, you're going to be there. And all of a sudden comes a letter from home from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says in chapter 24, verses 9 through 10, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what I want you to do. Jeremiah says, listen, I have a word from the Lord about what you're supposed to do in that place. Here it is. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply and not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And then Jeremiah says, now here's a warning. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams they dream, for it is a lie they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them to you, declares the Lord. Now here you are. You're you're Daniel, you're Ezekiel, you're in this pagan place, you're in this horrible environment, full of idolatry, full of injustice, full of immorality, with the most pagan king who's really good at wickedness ruling over you. And you can think back to the city you grew up in, to the house you used to live in, to the temple you used to worship in, a city that certainly was was a city that bore God's name. And here's what you are hoping. You are hoping that this exile will not be long. And you get a letter from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says to you the thing you wish you didn't have to hear. He says to you, look, You need to settle down in Babylon. You need to build houses. You need to build your life because you're going to be here for a long time. You're going to be here for 70 years. And so you need to seek the welfare of the city. You need to pray for the city. You need to serve those in the city because in the welfare of the city will be your welfare. And there were some prophets that rose up in these people, and they said, listen, I don't understand what Jeremiah is telling you. That's just not right. 
There's another prophet over in Jerusalem. His name is Hananiah, and he's been actually telling us that we're only going to be here for two years. In two years, God is going to bring the vessels of the temple. He's certainly not going to leave his precious vessels here in the temple of Nebuchadnezzar's God. So two years, and we're going to go home. And we don't need to settle down here. We don't need to build houses. We shouldn't pray for the welfare of this city. We should pray for its destruction. And we should do everything we can to withhold ourselves from doing anything in this city because God is about to make Israel great again. And we don't want to be here. And one of those guys, a man named Shemaiah, decided to write his own letter. And he sent that letter back to Jerusalem. Now think about this. Jeremiah wrote a letter that God told him to write and sent it to the exiles and said, settle down, build houses, you're going to be here for a while. Look and work and pray for the welfare of that city. Shemaiah says, no way, that's not God's will for us. We're going to stand against this evil empire. We're going to do everything we can to disrupt it because we're going to go back. And he sends a letter back to the priests and he says to them, listen, you guys have got a problem. This is in Jeremiah 29, verses 24 through 32. You've got a problem with this prophet Jeremiah. He's writing letters to us over here in Babylon and he's stirring things up and, and, and you need to rebuke him, and you need to put him in stocks. He's saying that God's exile will be long, and we should build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. And so you need to do something about Jeremiah. I mean, so here you have a young man, and he is in a pagan place, and he is counterculture to two different groups. Right? He's counterculture to the pagan idolatry of Babylon, but he's at odds with the exiles who are basically saying, no, we're not going to settle down. We're not giving up the fight. God is bigger than, than Nebuchadnezzar. God is bigger than Babylon, and he's going to get us out of here, and he's going to take us home. Here's Daniel. Daniel lived counter to the pagan culture of Babylon, and he lived counter to the nationalism in the culture that was going on among the exiles. And by the way, you're going to have to do the same thing. While everybody else was up in arms calling for people to stand and resist the Babylonians and calling for a return to Jerusalem and mounting campaigns against what Jeremiah had said, Daniel settled down in Babylon. He lived obediently, he served faithfully, and he prayed for the welfare of Babylon and its wicked king in his house. In Daniel chapter 6, he opens the windows of his house. I mean, there are times in the book where the writer of Daniel, or the, the Spirit of God inspiring Daniel to write, puts details there that let you know that this man had a hard ministry in a hard place, and it wasn't just against the Babylonians, it was even against the nationalism of his own people. And you and I live in a day and age where the church has adopted and is adopting a spirit of nationalism. And I sometimes wonder as we listen to people talk and as we hear people think, I sometimes wonder if Daniel were to show up in our midst he would look at all of that and he would just shake his head and say, 
I don't know where you got that, but that's not what I meant in Daniel 1.8 when I purposed in my heart. That's not what I meant. And so it behooves us to understand Daniel's life. Daniel lived faithfully and obediently in a dark place. So that's perspective number one. Perspective number two, Daniel lived an obedient life in a pagan culture. What is somebody like Daniel supposed to do when you're removed from your family, you're relocated from your community, you're renamed, you lose your personal identity, and you're retrained, you're immersed, or immersed rather, in the language and learning and the culture of the Chaldeans. You can see that in verse 3, 4, and 5 of chapter 1. They were used in verse 4, without blemish of good appearance, skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. You go back and read the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, it was all about their gods. It was all about how to interpret dreams. It was all about how to sort of read the minds of the gods. And here's, here is this Jewish boy who had grown up knowing the Torah, who had grown up obeying the Torah, and all of a sudden, everything about him changes. His name, Daniel, means God is my judge, is changed, and he's given a pagan name. He's removed from a place where Torah reigns to a place where the mythology and the idolatry of Babylon reigns. Everything about Daniel's life changed. And somehow, he managed to remain faithful to God and obedient to the Torah. Somehow, his life made an incredible impact for God in this pagan city and even on this pagan king. So how did this happen? Where did he get this strength? And where did all of this come from? Well, it came because Daniel lived by wisdom from above. Where did Daniel get wisdom? Look at verse 1, verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. He received wisdom from the Lord. Later on in the book, we find out that Daniel says to the king, look, there is wisdom that nobody, including me, will receive unless the God of heaven gives it to him. That's Daniel chapter 2, verses 26 through 28. In verse 28, Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he's the one who's given me this wisdom. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's trying to figure out what's going on, God. How's all of this at work? And in Daniel 9 and 10, he says, listen, I've been reading the writings of Jeremiah. Where did Daniel get his wisdom? He got his wisdom from God, and he got his wisdom from God's Word. And by the way, if we're going to survive in our own Babylon, and we're going to live obediently and faithfully, and make the kind of impact with our life that Daniel made with his, we are going to need this same wisdom, and we're going to have to get it from the same place. Daniel received and lived by wisdom from above. He cultivated courageous faith. You know, there were only a few things that Daniel and his three friends determined not to do. Only three. 
You're getting a new name, Daniel. Well, I kind of like mine. Daniel. Daniel's a good name. I've had it for a while. I, it, it's got a wonderful, rich meaning to it. It means God is my judge. Well, yeah, but, but we are trying to remove you from all of that. You're now in Babylon. You are going to serve the king. The king's got his eye on you. So we're going to give you a new name, and we're going to name you after Nebuchadnezzar's God. Daniel said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you this right now. I'm not answering to that name. You can call it all you want, and I'm not coming. If you want me to come, or if you want me to talk, or if you want me to look your way, it's Daniel. D-A-N-I-E-L. In Hebrew, whatever those letters are. Right? Is that what he did? No. Okay. There are only three things Daniel and his three friends said we can't do. Number one, we can't eat food offered to idols. The problem with the king's food was not the food. The problem with the king's food was that it had been offered to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And Daniel said, we can't do that. The three friends are taken out and they're told to bow down and worship an idol. And they say, look, we can't do that. We, we can't eat food that's offered to idols and we can't bow down to an idol. And then in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel has said, you can't pray to God. You, you must pray to the king. And Daniel said, I can't pray to anybody other than God. I can't eat food offered to idols. I can't bow down to an idol, and I can't pray to an idol. That's courageous faith. You know, sometimes we use Daniel to do a whole lot of things that Daniel probably would have done. Many of the times we use Daniel and we rip things out of Daniel uh, because, boy, you know, this is if we just do this, like, for example, you ever hear of the Daniel diet? Anybody ever hear of the Daniel diet? It's a 40-day diet. And if you eat uh, this food, it's supposed to make you nice and trim. But if you actually read Daniel 1, when Daniel got on that diet that's supposed to make you nice and trim, it made him nice and fat. He was better in appearance than all of the other people. And so I'm just observing that a lot of what we do in our culture and age with Daniel is ripped out of its original context. Daniel said, listen, there are only three things I will not do in this pagan culture. I will not contaminate myself with food offered to idols. I will not bow down to idols. And I will not pray to anybody other than God. You say, well, where did Daniel get that? He got that from the Torah. He got that from the Word of God. There was courageous faith. Then there were bold words. I mean, Daniel was willing to say bold words to Nebuchadnezzar. He said in Daniel chapter 4, King, I wish I didn't have to tell you this, but I want you to know something. If you don't humble yourself before the mighty God of heaven, He's going to humble you, and I hate to tell you this, but you're going to go out and you're going to eat grass like a cow, like a beast of the field, until you know something, until you know that the Most High rules and the kingdom of men, the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and He gives it to whom He wills. Nebuchadnezzar, this is going to happen in verse 26, so that you know that heaven rules. And then he says this, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. 
break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Leave your iniquities and show mercy to the oppressed that perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. I would have said, Daniel, why did you have to say that last part? Why can't he just go out and be a beast? Why can't he just, I mean, this is the judgment. James says, no, 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 wait a minute, king. I, I, would you listen to my, 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 I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to tell you something that nobody in your kingdom will tell you. He says the same thing to Belshazzar, his grandson. He says, Belshazzar, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, greatness and glory and majesty. This is in Daniel 5, verses 18 and following. And because of the greatness that God gave him, all the nations trembled. Who he would, he killed, and who he would keep alive, he kept alive. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened, he was brought down from his throne and his glory was taken away. He was fed grass like an ox until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of man and sets it over his will. Now listen to the next thing Daniel said to this king. You, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. He displayed courageous faith. He spoke bold words, but he displayed a gracious, grace-enabled life. He did it when God's word was at stake. He did it when his life and that of his opponents, the other Chaldeans, were at stake. He did it when his relationship to the king was at stake. He did it when wealth and opportunity were put in front of him. And he did it when his integrity before God was at stake. God consistently lived a gracious, grace-enabled life. And he got the wisdom to do this from the Word of God. And he got the strength to do this from the Spirit of God. And that's exactly where you and I are going to find it. And that brings us to the final thing this morning, and that is this. Perspective number one. We zero in. We come to the fact that God had made some decisions about his people. And perspective number one taught us that faithful living makes a difference in our time and place. Perspective number two, we zero in to find out what made Daniel faithful. And it was like this. It was the obedient life he was willing to live out of a bold or or a courageous faith and and bold words and grace-enabled living. And that brings us then to that final shot the camera brings in, and that is this, a wise life is based on insight from God's words. I can say it to you this way, Daniel was able to do what he did, and he was able to say what he said because he believed what he believed. Daniel was able to do what he did, and he was able to say what he said because he believed what he believed. And by the way, you and I are going to do what we do and we're going to say what we say because we believe what we believe. So what is it that Daniel believed? He said it two times in the book. He said it to King Nebuchadnezzar and generations later, years later, decades later, he said it again at the end of his life to Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And it was the same message. Daniel believed this his whole life. God rules. And his kingdom matters more. 
Nebuchadnezzar, as good as this kingdom is and as powerful as you are, there is a kingdom that matters more. And Nebuchadnezzar said, thank you very much, Daniel. That's a wonderful message from God. You obviously have a great God who can deliver this, and I like everything about it, except his kingdom matters more. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to build that statue that's in the dream, except we're going to change it. The whole statue is going to be gold. Because that's the only kingdom that matters. All the other kingdoms that you saw in that little dream, Daniel, the one that's, you know, that's silver, and then the one that's bronze, and then the one that's iron, and all those little other kingdoms that are clay, we're going to get rid of those, and we're just going to have one kingdom that's going to last forever, and it's going to be the gold kingdom, which, as you said so wisely from God, is me. And that's what happens. In Nebuchadnezzar's mind, God's vision about the kingdom was really good, except for one thing. It was about a kingdom that mattered more. And Nebuchadnezzar said, we gotta, we got to fix that part of the vision. And I got a lot of gold, and we can build a big statue and get everybody on board with this, and except three guys wouldn't bow. Remember that? Daniel, his entire life, believed that God ruled and his kingdom mattered more. And by the time Daniel was an old man, Nebuchadnezzar was long gone and buried. And in Daniel chapter 6, that second kingdom that Daniel saw had tumbled down the first kingdom. And a new kingdom with a new king was in play. And Daniel was serving still in that place. Daniel learned something. And everything in his life came out of this. God rules and his kingdom matters. You know, if you and I are going to live in our own Babylon, we're going to have an obedient life. We're going to have a faithful life. We're going to have a life of impact. We're going to have to learn the same thing. God rules, and His kingdom matters more. The whole book is about that, right? It may cost you what you think you want in your little kingdom but it will gain you what you really want in the kingdom that matters. You can take this to the bank like Daniel did. You do what you do. You say what you say. You decide what you decide. You react the way you react because you believe what you believe. Whatever you believe drives everything else. And Daniel had a rock-solid foundational core belief. God rules, and his kingdom matters more. It matters more than my kingdom. It matters more than your kingdom. And trust me, when God gets done, we're going to look back and we're going to go, God, I am so thankful that you didn't give me what I thought I wanted because you knew this was what I really wanted. That happens all the time in the Scriptures. And that's why we can go to the bank with it because God rules and his kingdom matters more. Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you for Daniel's life. Not just his words, his life. A life that was obedient, a life that was faithful, a life that was wise and impactful. A life that displayed a courageous faith, spoke bold words, and live graciously and beautifully before you and others. Lord, we want that in our own life. 
But in order to get that, we're having to come to that place where Daniel came, where he understood that you rule, you really do, and your kingdom matters more. And so we thank you for being a good, wise king that we can trust and follow with all of our life, for all of our days and all of our ways. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.